This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. advance, I just want to say that actually, if you've been around um, uh, New Frontiers Church, if that name means anything to you, uh, we're, we're in a phrase where that has become multiplied into multiple groups and multiple spheres, and we've been as a church trying to find where do we feel that we're caught up, and we feel to be caught up with this man and his yes. team, uh, that team's called Advance. And we believe that, that apostolic ministry, apostolic means sent, it means to catch you up in God's big mission to the world. It's not PJ's job to come and do, help me to do church better, although there's a lot of that to be done. I'm sure we'll have an interesting lunch. Uh, but, but it's PJ's job, and the ch- uh, PJ's and his team's job to catch us up in the God's big mission to the world. So I think to call the network of advance, it does exactly what it says on the tin. Right. And so we are part of that. We've, as leaders, we've done, we're part of that, and we, we've uh, put that on our website, and we've done that. So why we serve is because we're, we're all in behind it, and it doesn't mean I'm all in, or Flick, or Harold, or Vicky, or people who are going today. It means you are all in. Yeah. So this guy, is. we invite him into the church, and he has the authority to shake you guys up, and love you, and catch you up in the mission. Yeah, so that's so it's, it's not just a random guest speaker. It's a guy that we're saying we want him and his team to help us do what God has called us to do. Yes. So with that in mind, I'm going to pray for him and you're going to receive him well, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for PJ. Lord, I thank you for that, uh, that, that your great mm. apostolic thrust, your great yeah, your, sending thrust, thrust that catches everybody up in the great mission to go with your beautiful yes. good news of Jesus <laughs> to every person in every neighbourhood and nation. And Lord, we thank you for our joining together, our friendship. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that PJ would stir us and catch us up and do what he's called to do in this church. Amen. So PJ's a great friend of mine as well, so just receive him well. Thanks, Howard. Thank you very much. And uh, Howard, thanks for that great intro. Um, I've... Uh, been looking forward so much to being in your church um, since it began, and then I got pictures of this building, and I thought, I want to be in it even more, and the fact that you're, you're called God First, it's the same name as we call uh, our church. Thanks for that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, Thanks for letting us use your name in Joburg over the years. Um, yeah, so for all reasons to be with you, and I, I want to echo my thanks um, to you for laying on this superb last few days. In fact, Thursday, Friday was a smaller event for about 20 guys, um, 48-hour event, two nights. It was absolutely brilliant, and Howard and Flick and others uh, just did a superb job. We were spoiled. I don't know if you know this, but your church really spoiled us. You organized stuff, really appreciate that, but then you went the extra, extra mile and spoiled the guys, and it's just so good 
for church leaders every now and again to be spoiled. Um, you know, we believe in using pennies wi- wisely and so on, but it's just really good uh, to... <laughs> and the guys were absolutely... Thinking, we got really good value from money. <laughs> <We> really <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, we all paid a bit, but you guys threw in stuff on top. Thank you, it means a huge amount. And we did it really well, uh, which is important. And then the event yesterday, you nailed it. Um, I, I thanked you yesterday. I want to thank you again. You totally smashed it as a church. I was so proud because this, this was really only our second uh, ev- proper event that we've done in the UK. And to have it feeling so friendly but excellently run was just everything I'd hoped for. So thanks so much. And uh, you know what it's like if you do something really, really well the first time. <laughs> <laughs> So I want to thank you for the next 20 years for all that you're going <laughs> to... No, really, it was just, just superb. And I think, God, we're hearing, hearing yesterday and even, even today that men and women from across the nation, we had people from Truro right up to Newcastle, um, some South Africans and Americans, men and women were really strengthened. And our, our little catch line is we, we plant and strengthen churches because I think if you, if you were, wanted a little pithy... Uh, summary of what happened in the book of Acts, the, the, the New Testament church, they were either starting a church or they were strengthening it. So think of this church, it was started a few years ago, uh, now it's about strengthening this church so you can start other churches and together we can start other churches. Uh, so great job, God First Cheltenham, I'm delighted to be here and I feel um, that it will be helpful for you um, and I think it will be uh, Encouraging for me, uh, if we look together at Acts chapter 17. If you're new to your Bibles, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke and John that speaks about Jesus' ministry on earth. And then Acts talks about churches like God First Cheltenham. You'll, as we look at this, you'll think, flip, that's us. Um, we're trying to imitate the book of Acts, obviously in a 21st century way. But it's, uh, it's about um, Paul moving into the town of Cheltenham, I mean Athens, and I'm calling it the day the gospel uh, came to town. And we've got, um, in our partnership of churches, again, the New Testament, you see churches partnering together. Man, we crack on with our local mission. You need to be self-sufficient in that way, Um, but the New Testament's full of churches helping churches. We can do more quicker and better if we work together. And um, we've got um, three church plants on the go in the USA, which may not sound like too many, but when you realize we've only got five to ten churches in the USA, to have that small number of churches over the next two years planning to plant three more, that's excellent. Um, in South Africa, we've got about six, seven church plants on the go at the moment, and in the next two years, rolling out six or seven more church plants. So it's actually happening. Isn't it great? And here in the UK, um, the churches we're involved with, um, three of them are really in church plant mode right now, the, the, the very early stages. And some of them are at the ch- stage you're at, which does, you don't quite fit the church plant category because you're well and truly out the blocks, but there's still areas that, that you're muscling up in. And I, I just pray that I'll help you on your outstanding way. Good. Uh, Acts 17, so you got the picture, this is the Apostle Paul, who, as Howard sent, a sent one, is moving around, he would preach the gospel, people would respond, 
um, out of those new believers, a community would, of believers would grow that would help other people discover Christ, and so it grows. And uh, we're picking the story up in uh, Acts 17, verse 16. And I, I'm going to read it a verse at a time and comment, okay? And we're looking at some uh, tips of how to bring the gospel to our towns. And for, so for those of us who would already regard ourselves as Christians, you're thinking, great, I need, we need some tips on how to bring the gospel to others. For those of us who haven't yet crossed the line of faith, who wouldn't regard ourselves as Christians, this will interest you because you'll hear how, from the Bible, we try to introduce people to the claims and teachings of Christ. And actually, um, it's one of the really good reasons to have not yet Christians in a church is they can help us as Christians work out how to bring the gospel to them better. So some of my best mates um, aren't believers, and they're so helpful. I'm hoping they'll become believers, and they know that I'm hoping they'll become believers, but uh, they actually help our church in some ways, give us really good advice on HR stuff and financial stuff. And I also also say, and just talk, talk me through as a Joe Berger, a Joe Berg guy, uh, t- talk, talk me through, was that helpful? Did that, did that help, help you want to explore Christianity more or did it repel you more? So wherever you might find yourself, I hope this will be helpful. Acts 17, verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, Cheltenham, great town, by the way. <laughs> Best kept secret in England. Uh, now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens... His spirit was provoked. Uh, The NIV version says greatly distressed. So whilst he was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked, greatly distressed within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Tip number one, be distressed. How's your distressometer? Uh, If you're anything like me, it... It offer, you can't live in the red, you know, because oh, you just get exhausted and burnt out. But if you're like me, my distressometer is not often enough in the red. In fact, it is quite a lot. I love our town of Joburg, um, but I am highly distressed by my friends who've got so much, yet there's so much missing, both in this life and, and for all eternity. And the, the crime and the sadness and the depression and the tension in homes and all that kind of stuff, we need to be distressed. His spirit was greatly distressed within him. If you toggle back to the Old Testament, some amazing stories, real true stories, um, that help us understand the New Testament better and vice versa. One is with Jonah. God sent Jonah to the city of Cheltenham, the city of Nineveh. And in verse 1 of chapter 1, it says the wickedness, the, the, the pain of Nineveh came up before God. And God didn't send down the lightning bolt. He called Jonah and he said, go. There was a, God, was, God himself was distressed enough to want to help and do something about the pain and the ungodliness and everything that goes with that in the city. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. I think um, Cheltenham's got a reputation of being a really nice place to live. I noticed on your coat of arms, it's health and education, that what the Latin saying is there. 
And I get it. I mean, this is a really nice... I know it's not all nice. I know there's pain. Uh, I, I get all of that. Joburg, we've got some really amazing areas and, and some really terrible areas. How's it going on the weeping front? I know us guys don't weep, but, you know, we get dust in our eyes <laughs> every now and again. Um, sometimes when I drive my car around, there's a particular rise that every day when I drive where I drive, I come over this rise and, and see the city spread out. And some days I just smack the steering wheel. <laughs> and in Joburg, that's like normal. If anyone's watching for other cars, they just think road rage, no deal. But no big deal. But I'm smashing the steering wheel saying, God, do something great in our day. Do something great in our town. Yes. Tip number one, be distressed. He saw the city that w- was full of idols. Tip number two is found in verse 16. He saw that the city was full of idols, so he... And if you don't have your Bible, you're not good. You don't know what it's going to say next. What's he going to do? He sees that the city is full of idols. Now, it's tempting to say, yeah, in those days they had idols that you'd bow down to. Obviously not gods, but they think they are gods. How, how silly. And an idol is, an, is something we worship, something you worship. And it's tempting for us modern-day... Uh, western town city dwellers to think that's not a problem for us. It's as, it's, it's as big a problem for us as it was for them. Just the idol looks different. You know, we all worship something. But by worship, I don't mean necessarily sing to you. I mean what we say is worth something. So leisure is worth something. Leisure is not a bad thing. Pleasure, education, health, salaries, uh, work, family, relationships... All good things, but the problem kicks in if they become the ultimate thing. If we're looking for that and living for that, the Bible says we're going we're gonna to we're bump. We're going to have a, a hole in us. In fact, the writer of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon, he said, he said there's a gap that God has placed in man, a, a space of eternity. It means there's, a, there's a, a longing, there's a space that only gets filled by something other something extra. That's how we've, we've been created. And I get that. You probably get that. You know, you get a new car and the feeling is just awesome for about two weeks. And then you get, you know, you get the girl you've always wanted, guys, and it's great, but then after a few weeks, doesn't matter how amazing she is, whether she's your girlfriend or your wife, you realise she's not going to fix all my problems. And then you get the promotion. For those of us men and women in the business world, that is an exciting thing. It's like recognition, you get the promotion. And a couple of months later, it's like, what, what am I going after next? And uh, Jesus was brilliant on this. Uh, he, he, he met a, a woman at the well, and he said, he said you're, you're always thirsty, right? And he was speaking not just about water, he was speaking about life. And he's saying, he said, I get that. It's, life is like drinking salt water. It, it, it uh, soothes for a bit. But it's then what? And he said, I'm the water. If you, if you get to me, if you worship me, if you make me the one of ultimate worth, then you'll find your, your thirst is satisfied. So that's, he's walking around, he sees the city is full of idols, just like the city of Cheltenham, just like Johannesburg. Wealth, pleasure, good lifestyle, etc. He sees that people are chasing after things that aren't actually going to fully satisfy them, what's he going to do? Is he going to give them a lecture? 
Or is he going to leg it to an even nicer town? What he does is he moves towards, he moves into the city. Tip number two, be engaged. Jonah didn't want to be, going back to the Old Testament. God said, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, no thanks. He wanted to disengage. Uh, One of my um, favorite passages in this regard in the Old Testament is in um, the book of Jeremiah. The situation is that the Babylonians had come to the nation of Israel and kidnapped many thousands of them and at sword point, spear point, taken them back to Babylon where they're going to be useful to us. And the phrase is, it, the Israelites were in exile. Ex means out of. They don't want to be there. They want to be in Israel, but they find themselves in Babylon. And they're just fed up. They want to be back in Israel. Maybe you've moved from London to Cheltenham. Your job sent you here. And you just say, I want to be back in London. Or you love the seaside. And, uh, you know, you came from the south coast, and here you are in Cheltenham. It's that, but times 100. They really don't want to be in Babylon. And God says to them, because they've been keeping their distance from the Babylonians. Oh, I'm just here to do university. Just here to do my job. Can't wait to get out. And God comes to them in Jeremiah 29, and he tells them to get engaged. He says, I want you to build houses, settle down, um, trade, interact with your neighbors. Don't just stay in your little bomb shelter of your house or your own little Christian community. He says, I want you to get engaged and amongst. He says, marry people in Cheltenham. Marry, marry in Babylon. He said, I want you to, best phrase, increase here, do not decrease. The whole thrust of it is get amongst, know your neighbours, get involved in business here, get involved in local government, etc., etc. Be engaged, be amongst. Being engaged, being amongst, is different from just being involved. Being involved. Martina Navratilova, are you familiar with her? One of the great women's tennis greats of all time. She was once asked in a press conference, uh, Miss Navratilova, how do you enjoy your involvement in international tennis? And she had the wherewithal to say, she said, involved? I'm not involved, I'm committed. She said, think of bacon and eggs. The chicken's involved, the pig's committed. (laughs) And that's what we're talking about here. No, no, I'm involved I, as, a, as, a, as a Christian, or as a, or as a not-yet-Christian. No, I'm involved in Cheltenham. It's good to be involved where I live. But you're just like, whoop, popping out an egg every now and again. No, I'm involved. Whoop. Yeah, God first Cheltenham. No, if and when I can, I will whoop. I'll chip in. Don't get me wrong. No, no, when I get a gap. Whoop. <laughs> we're, not, we're not talking about being chickens here involved, we're talking about pigs, we're talking about shedding blood, we're talking about loving this town that we lived in. I'm just so grateful that Jesus, I say this reverently, I'm so grateful that Jesus didn't pull a chicken thing in terms of his involvement with me and us. I'm just so grateful that he was, I say this reverently, he was the great pig. He gave his life, he, he shed his blood, he came from heaven and he, enga- he was distressed enough to come and be engaged with us 
and to give his life. I'm so grateful that he was, he was bacon, not eggs for me. And as he is, so we are. He's our ultimate example, our ultimate inspiration. We're not involved in Shelton, we're committed. We're not involved in our churches, we're committed to our churches, thoroughly engaged. Tip number three, verse 17, he's now in Athens, full of idols, he's distressed, he's engaged. Now what is, let's put some legs on this. It says, verse 17, so he reasons with them. Tip number three is not reason with people. Tip number three is be accurate, which, aka, scratch where they're itching. Now, in Athens, where they were itching was with things logic and things intellectual. So, the, so, so the, those who weren't believers in the claims and teachings of Christ in Athens, their problem wasn't here so much as here. In Athens. These were clever guys. They placed a very high value on reason, rationale, logic, intelligence. So Paul knew if he was going to help them explore the claims and teachings of Christ, he had to help them here. He reasoned with them. In other towns, if you back up in the book of Acts, we're in Acts 17. If you go from Acts 13 through 16, and even the first half of 17, you'll see him operating differently in different towns. The vibe in the Cotswolds is different from the vibe in larger towns, is different from the vibe in London, it's different from the Southwest. It's different from South Africa, it's different from America. America's just different, right? Places. Different places. And Paul was like that in the build-up to Athens. In some places, he did no reasoning. He just preached. Other places, no reasoning, no preaching, mostly doing miracles. And this is so instructive for us. He adjusted his approach. It was the same message of the gospel, like a painting. Same painting, but he would frame it in a way that helped those who he wanted to look at it, not the frame that had helped him the most. And one of the great privileges of living in Africa is you've got kind of West, Western and African culture in very pl- close proximity. Even in, even in our city, it's still got, tragically, it's still got apartheid geography. And so you can be here, and it needs to be mostly about reason on the front end. But a, a, a few blocks away, in, a, in another suburb, don't go for it for, 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 from a reasoning approach. You need to go from it from a spiritual approach approach because people in in this society already agree that there's a spiritual realm that that you that's something you you can start with that and so you you go in they they, say show me the power of God it's more more here than it than it is here some cultures need mind others need miracle and you usually end up needing both, but it's a question of what you need on the front end. We did a, a survey um, quite recently in Johannesburg, and it was a really extensive survey. We got all of our members um, to, we gave them a sort of A5 bit of paper, and on it were the 20 
uh, commonest objections to Christianity. We've done our research and we felt these were the 20 commonest. But we wanted to stress test this in the real world. You know, it's really dangerous for Christians to decide what non-Christians are, are thinking. And that's, those of us who got, you know, you're Christian and non-Christian here, you, you must have excellent debates on this. But anyway, you've got these 20 objections to Christianity and we, and we said to, so to all of our people, look, we really want to just check this is true. <laughs> you know, so everyone went to their colleagues and family members who wouldn't regard themselves as Christians. So you just sit down, uh, you know, open plan area, your colleague at work, you slap it down with a pen. So, bro, just take a, can you take one minute? Of these 20, please t- tick the top seven. The, the objections, the things that you're most fed up with about Christians or your biggest problem with Christianity, you're only allowed to pick seven. You can't pick more, one more than once. Uh, leave 13 blank and go for seven. I'll be back in one minute. I mean, it's like falling off a log. It's so easy to do, right? It's not intrusive. It's just, just help. And if they say why, so oh, we're just trying to work out how to be a better church in this great city. So we got all of these hundreds of them in. We collated. We got the top seven. Number one, coming in at number one, biggest problem Joe Burgers have with Christians is that we are hypocritical. Biggest problem number two, Christians are judgmental. I mean, those two are so close that I thought people would just at least take one and not bother with the other, right? <laughs> They've only got seven. Coming in at number three was how can a good God send people to hell? Number four was how can a good God allow suffering? Coming in at number five is I don't trust the Bible, and so it goes. Number one and two weren't to do with God. <laughs> weren't to do with the Bible. They do to do with me. And my fellow mates in Joburg, who are Christ followers, it was, it was just so humbling and helpful. And it's affected the way... It's affected, it's affected everything. The picture stays the same, but for people to look at the picture, we know right on the front end in Joburg, we've got to not be... I hope we're not, but even if we're perceived as... We, we, we cannot be perceived as judgmental or hypocritical. That affects the way we do everything. Not affects massively the way we do everything, but significantly it affects we, the way we do everything. So those of us who have the privilege of preaching here, and when we chat about it on Monday or Tuesday, if the preacher gave off a slight holier-than-thou vibe, we would say, that's really not going to help. We know from our research, that's exactly the thing that Joe Berger's are expecting us to give off, and they'll just shut down. There you go again. Christians are judgmental. So, and once you've been judgmental or hypocritical, they're not going to listen to a word you say because that's their big thing. So, so we're at pains to, to um, say, look, we're, we're all on the same team here. We can learn from each other, but we don't, we don't fudge it at all. We stand, as we'll see Paul does in a few minutes, the claims and teachings of Christ. Um, we, uh, I, I said to the guys, I think it was yesterday, I said, I've got a mate called Steve. Um, he's a really good friend of mine. Um, he's not yet a Christian. And uh, I was chatting to him recently. It was, it was at lunchtime, and he asked me for my advice on something. And because he knows I'm a believer and we talk openly about issues of faith, I said to him several times, well, Steve, the Bible says this, and the Bible says that, and the Bible says that, and I thought I was on fire. 
the Bible says this, the Bible says that. I said, Steve, what do you think? He said, well, my problem is I don't believe the Bible. <laughs> and it's like, PJ, do your homework. You know, Paul had done his homework. He needed a reason. With Steve, I needed to help him see that the Bible is, is, is regarded by scholars as about the most historically accurate document ever written. Start there, so then with a clear conscience, he can begin to explore the claims and teachings of Christ. We need to be wary, fellow Christians, of getting really good at answering questions that people aren't asking. Um, Verse 22, let's move on. Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, which was the, the town square, it was where the action was, the politicians, the local government, uh, the intellectual, intellectuals. Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, what's he going to say? He's not in church. He's, uh, I don't know what the equivalent in Cheltenham is. He's in the Houses of Parliament. Of, he's in local government. It's where everyone's gathering. What's he going to say? He's not in church. What's he going to say? So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, tip number four, be authorised beyond the four walls of the church. It's an amazing privilege. Those of us who are Christ followers, we are authorised to engage, interact, and positively influence the towns and cities that we're in. My story is we moved to Joburg 11 years ago. And I was bold as a lion. We had a, a building very similar to this. I don't know if any of you ever came to it. It was a round build. I love round buildings. And uh, I was bold as a lion. I would preach like I'm preaching now. Maybe even walk up and down and speak to men of the church and women of the church. Bold as a lion. And then I'd walk out, you know, Monday morning, flip this intimidating city, don't have a voice, got nothing to say. <sighs> can't wait to get back into church on Sunday, our little bomb shelter. And basically from Sunday to Sunday, you kind of go underground like a mole, pop up on Wednesday night for community group. Then you down you go <laughs> and pop it up. And I felt authorized to lead a church. Paul, right? Yeah. yeah. So I'd be bold out with Paul, Paul, Paul. Get outside with my neighbor and I go, <laughs> you know, like a... And then issues come up in society. We don't know what to say or how to say it. Then I read, this, I read this passage a lot. It was these three words that leapt out in about year two in Joburg. It was like God highlighted these three words. This, this is a supernatural book. The Bible says it's written by God through people. And uh, not every day you read it, you go, wow. Every day you go, something happens. But some days, it's, God just speaks profoundly through a few words. And that was the story with me. Men of Athens. Men of Athens, and I just, it just came out of men of Joburg. And I joined the dots, I realized that Paul, this is little Paul, who says of himself he wasn't particularly impressive in terms of stature or public speaking. Paul felt sent to Cheltenham more than the church in Cheltenham. He would describe himself as an apostle to the does anyone know the answer, the, how he finished that sentence? I'm apostle to the Gentiles. Gentiles. Not an apostle to the church. Now, he became an apostle to the church because the church has formed. Gentiles is a, is, is a kind of catch-all phrase used in Scripture for people who, who 
are not yet Christ's followers. And he said, I, if I'm apostolic, Paul says, I'm an apostle to those who aren't in the church. And as you bring the gospel to them, the church is formed out of the community of people who don't know Jesus. It doesn't fall, the church doesn't fall from heaven. The, the church is, Cheltenham was established by God. Out of preach, through preaching the gospel in Cheltenham come Christ followers who become a church. And Paul then, then would say, I, I'm an apostle to the church. That's my target. That's where I'm authorized. I'm authorized to speak to men and women of Athens about the claims and teachings of Christ. Then that some will become, it will become the church. And then I'm also an apostle, a sent one, he says, to the church. But this is where it started. It was a, it was a game changer for me. Um, we started to change our language. Our language would be not just, uh, you know, dear God firsters, it would be dear Joe Burgers or fellow citizens of Joburg. You know, you find ways that works. It doesn't sound clunky. And we would, we would begin to speak of our church as a community of Joe Burgers together exploring the claims and teachings of Christ. Because my mate Steve is a Joe Burger. And he's exploring the claims and teachings of Christ. He, he's, uh, on, on the, the line of belief, he's quite far back. On the line of belief, I'm quite forward. But just reading my Bible this morning, not, not about this, just reading my Bible, I'm, uh, and even today, all of us we're, we're, who are Christ followers, we're increasingly exploring the claims and teachings of Christ. So it was an inclusive, we began to use language that's more in- inclusive. And we all began to feel a sense of authorization, not just for Sunday, but for Monday, mm. where, where we find ourselves. And then we started to see stuff in the city as an opportunity, because we're authorized in the city. So billboards, uh, it may be cheesy to use them here, but we used, we used billboards to advertise some of our series and, and so on. And we started meeting in a casino, and like you would leverage, you know, people might... Christians might, you know, drive past here and very sort of purist, conservative Christians will say, oh no, the theatre, you know. And you're thinking, no man, the theatre, this place was built. This, this, this is a blessing and we're, we're using it. Your whole kind of outlook becomes appreciative of, not, not of the rubbish stuff in culture, but there's so much common grace in culture and in architecture and, and buildings. And you just begin to think of yourself as a citizen of Cheltenham. Who's a Christ follower. Rather than as a Christ follower, I don't know what I'm doing in this town. What are we doing in this town? We, how can we ever have any effect on this town? There's, there's, there's an authorization to men of Cheltenham, to, to women of Cheltenham. Let's read on. Verse 22, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. That is brilliant. You know, you'd think you'd come in with a, <laughs> men of Athens, I perceive that you, you're a bunch of pagans. You're reprobates. You chase after wine, women, and song. You're into sex, drugs, rock and roll. Yet here I cometh, in the name of the Lord. He doesn't go near that. This, Number one, Christians are hypocritical. Number two, Christians are judgmental. He's just a million miles away from that. He says, men of Athens, I notice that we have something huge in common. I'm religious, and you're religious. And the the, the Athenians listening probably in five seconds went from this to this. Because he's identified with them. 
Men of Athens, I perceive that every... That's tip number five. Connect first. Connect first. Stress similarities, not differences on the front end. It's the way Jesus operated. He said to the woman at the well, who I referenced earlier, uh, he said, do you think you can get me a glass of water? He's saying, I'm also thirsty. He comes in with a similarity before he moves to, but you remain thirsty. I don't, and I'm actually the answer to your thirst. Stress similarities, not differences on the front end. But it's particularly important in cities like ours because uh, unbelievers, and, and if you would consider yourself to be that, non-Christian, I'm sure you'll come to me after and say, I agree if you do, or correct me if I'm wrong. But... but Non-Christians really are expecting us to be judgmental and hypocritical and stress differences on the front end. We know this. It's, we've got hard evidence of this in Joburg. We did a, a series, sermon series called What Would God Say To? Dot, dot, dot. And then each week we'd fill in that gap with a well-known celebrity. So we did What Would God Say To um, Nelson Mandela? What Would God Say To Oprah? Uh, what would God say to um, Madonna? Um, and then we did some local South Africans as well. Oh, we did what would God say to Bono from U2? And when we hit that one, because he's well known and U2 are loved in South Africa, we got a tirade of social media criticism when we said we're preaching this Sunday on what would God say to Bono. Um, and we put it out, social media, and we had um, probably 15 really antsy tweets and Facebook posts coming back in. Why don't you beeping Christians leave beeping Bono alone? He does a lot of good for the world. Now, we hadn't even preached about what would God say. And when we say what would God say, we're, we're saying from our best reading of God's word, what would God's word uh, say to, to Bono? We hadn't even done the preach. And uh, Joe Burgess was just assuming that we were going to smash Bono. And every week, just for your interest, we'd have three points. I think I preached most of the sermons in that series. I'd have three points. Always the first two were what, something positive of what God would say about Bono and Oprah and so on. And if you're thinking God would say nothing positive about Oprah, you either don't know Oprah or you haven't read the Bible. <laughs> Oprah, Bono, they, they are way ahead of us in terms of social action, giving money to the poor. And, and so anyway, so we got all this criticism in about Bonnet. We didn't... The, the third point was usually, in fact, it was always something very, very precise from God's word, something very challenging. The Bible speaks about Jesus Christ as being a rock of offense. So that, that was usually some, something there. But even that would have brought that with humility and said, God's word would say to Oprah like it says to me and to you, this. Then we had a, uh, we invited the most famous radio DJ called Wackhead Simpson along. <laughs> now, where we, and, and he came. He's the most famous guy in South Africa. Again, onslaught of leave that Wackhead alone. Anyway, he comes to our meetings. He's in for, for two of our largest meetings. He sits there in the front. We interview him for 10 minutes. And we draw him, we thank him for how he makes the city laugh. Um, some ways he makes the city laugh isn't great, but man, he makes the city laugh. We thanked him for that. We drew him out on his love for Joburg. This is a man who loves his town. 
He loves Johanna's book. Every morning, six to nine in the morning, directly or indirectly, he's just promoting Joburg, which needs, we just appreciate that. And we asked him for why he does that and how he does it. So we're also trying to do that because we see God loves places. Give us some tips on you know, that. And then we come in at, uh, came, and he, he sat there listening to this. We even had the president of South Africa. It was, incre- it was incredible. Through a contact, he came along. Um, we, inter- we, had, we, we hired the biggest venue. We had two meetings of 2,000 people plus. He was in for both. It was, it was so funny. I, I thought I'd be really clever and give him a sword. You know, some, some of us guys, we love to put swords on our walls. So we bought him a sword, you know, like a big... And anyway, his secret service weren't too impressed with this. <laughs> it was just brilliant. So we had, to, we had to do that very carefully. But we, in, we interviewed him, and I got, I got uh, messages beforehand saying, this is your chance to tell President Zuma what a sinner he is. And I got criticism afterwards for not telling President Zuma strongly enough what is... And, and the, the three points were something like, it was a while ago now, something like, uh, what would God say to President Zuma? The first thing he would say is that he has picked you to lead our nation. Yes. Romans 13. The second thing God would say to President Zuma is, you can expect Christians to be the best citizens in this nation. He was sitting here. He was on a stage sitting just there, listening to it. And then the third thing God would say to President Zuma is you, like every citizen that you lead, need to bow your knee to me and welcome me into the heart of your life. You start with similarities. We're in this together with South Africans. You get the idea. We interviewed a guy called Nathaniel. He's the most famous gay celebrity. He, He would have said at that stage that he was very anti-church. He brought an entourage along with him of many gay men and women. They came in ready to rumble. We worshipped God. We interviewed him. We thanked him for the good things that he's doing in our nation. Uh, we spoke about some other things. And no one rumbled. And it, was, it, was, it was a remarkable day. Did we compromise? Well, we'll get to that point in a moment. No, we didn't. So tip number five, connect first. Tip number six is found in verse 23. As I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, health, education, leisure, promotion, nice lifestyle. As I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription on it, to an unknown God. So they literally had like totem poles around the city, this is to this God, and that's to that God. They didn't want to leave any gods out. You know, you don't want to annoy any gods, do you? You get smacked by lightning. They had this other one, uh, to an unknown God. Therefore, he, he said, therefore what you worship is not unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. Excellent. Tip number six, answer questions that are being asked. So they, they, I know they weren't saying, is there an unknown God? But they were saying, is there an unknown God? Because they'd put up this altar saying, in case there's an unknown God. <laughs> so he comes, he meets them where they're at. So tip number six is answer questions that are being asked. What are their questions? So my mate Steve, I, I know he's got this one, you know, I don't believe the Bible, but he's uh, incredibly successful and wealthy and, um, you know, his new car and his new business and his new woman and then his woman appears with new parts that are, his, his whole life is it's very, Joburg's very like LA in that way. It's just, you know, you can get fixed. 
as you can tell, I've had quite a bit of work done. Um, and uh, so, so the, but it's Steve and Pete and my other mates who are mostly fathers, our sons play sport together. None of these guys are saying to me, is there a God? None of them are saying to me, I'm so worried that I'm sinning against the holy God. They're just not saying that. What, that. Those are not their questions, but they have questions that they're asking, and most of their questions fall into the category of, I'm not satisfied in life, because I get a new car and a new woman and a new this and a new that, and it just doesn't satisfy. That's their question. So when the whole, a lot of them are sportsmen as well, they've got time on their hands, they, they cycle. They, um, they said... Uh, Lance Armstrong, PJ, what do you think about Lance Armstrong, you know, getting found out for cheating? And God helped me right in that moment. I said, well, you know, I, yeah, obviously I don't agree with cheating, but I understand him wanting something so badly. Because I said, we're all like that, aren't we? It's work or cars or whatever. I said, I get that. I get that. I said, you know, they know I'm a pastor. They call me the Pope and stuff. <laughs> and I said, I said, that's the biggest thing. For, I, just, I, I find that although these things are good things, they don't satisfy. And for Armstrong, it's winning. You know, for me, it might be, it might be health or a new car or something. But, but, you know, Jesus is the one who offers total satisfaction. And that's the, that's the way to... They're wide open when we talk like that. Now, we certainly get to issues of sin and so on. But it's like coming through the back door because the back door's open. Don't bang on the front door if it's bolted. Find another way in and through. As we begin to close in on the end, verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, the Lord of heaven and earth, he does not live in temples. Now he's turned the heat up. Now he's, he's saying it like it is. He's not served by human hands. God commands all people everywhere to repent. He uses the R word. He's not some new age, airy, fairy Christian. He's, he's got solid convictions about the desperate state of mankind in the face of a holy God. Solid convictions about the mercy of God to those who would look to him and reach for him. He can be found by them for he's not far from any of us. He doesn't. Tip number seven, no compromise. We're not talking compromise in any way, shape, or form. On some of these examples of people we've had in, have, had in our church, we don't compromise one tiny bit. But you, like Paul, we try and follow this, this thing of do something on the front end before you go for the jugular. And tip uh, 8, verse 28, this is very clever. In him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said... For we are indeed his offspring. This tip number eight is use culture. Use the best, the good bits in culture. Use the neutral or good bits in culture. Use it. Leverage that. Um, it's not often that I get to quote Oprah Winfrey on, on something. But when, she, when she's on form, she is on form. So a little while ago, she uh, did this program and put out literature on her website. Because Oprah just talks, talk shows are huge in Joburg. American talk shows may not be so much here. Um, but she did this program and put out this article on how uh, recent psychological surveys and uh, studies show that if you have one sex partner for all of your life, life is better in so many ways. <laughs> oh, man, it was just so good. Um, 
not to, the next Sunday, whenever we, we did our you know, next preach on sexuality or something, not to, to, to you know, lead out with this, <laughs> but, to, but to say, as Oprah, who many of us respect so much, don't we watch her a lot in Joburg? Interestingly, just recently, she did the survey and she pointed to that. And I think she's onto something here because the creator says absolutely, and, and you, you go from there. Um, another big one for us is in Joburg is there's no, with my mates, there's no absolute truth. So what's true for Howard isn't true for me. So you can't really have a discussion about truth because there's no truth, right? And Lily Allen, she's well listened to. Um, she, she, I can't find a better illustration since she brought out her song called The Fear, which goes, I don't know what's right and real anymore. I don't know what to feel anymore because... When will it something something? When will it all become fear clear? Because we're being taken over by the fear, and she's essentially saying that just being like you know, high and just saying you know what? There's no truth. What's true for you isn't true for me, dude. She says that sounds cool, but when you think about it, not having any right or wrong or what's fake or real, she says that puts you into fear. That's one of our own poets. <laughs> Speaking about that, that's what Paul was, and it's, it's like, oh, so you, listen, you start from there and you can move. That doesn't, this isn't how you always do it. And I, I'm, I'm constantly contextualizing to Johannesburg. I don't presume to understand your culture, but that's been helpful. And last one, verse 29. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver. Tip number nine, use helpful vocab. Paul uses the phrase, the divine being. Imagine if one of our hosts this morning had stood up and said, it's just great to have you here at God First Cheltenham. We're gathered here to worship the divine being together. Maybe some of us who are Christians would have got all a bit twitchy. It's like, call him Jesus. You know? The one true Trinitarian God. Paul... Paul is happy going with divine being. Why? Because he was meeting them where they were at. And I don't know if any of you have said this, maybe you've been coming along to this church for a while, and you're exploring Christianity, and you find yourself thinking, I like the aura in this place. You're onto something. Aura actually isn't a word that's used in the Bible. As Christians, we wouldn't often use that word. But when people say to me after our God-first meetings, yeah, you know, I disagree with a lot of what you said in your preach, PJ, but I like, I, it's like a positive aura in this place. I go, oh, I totally agree. So we find that week by week. When you're in presence of the creator, it, everything's really rather positive. Two of my mates who I'm having uh, supper with with Ash next week, this week, later this week, um, they came to faith through regularly attending God First meetings, but it was preceded by a friendship with us, and their son was very sick. And they didn't, hadn't had contact with us for years, but their son's sick in Joburg, so they phoned PJ up. They're, they remember me as being like this Pope dude, that, you know, non-Christian mates thinking me like that. And I do not think of myself as like the Pope, although I've mentioned it twice. I do apologize for that. Um, and they, say, they said, please can you come um, to our hotel, uh, our hospital room, uh, for our son Luke, we're trying to get as much positive energy in the room as possible. And I said, excellent, I'll be right there. So the next day we visited, 
and we're there and we encourage them. I said, look, would you like us to pray? I find that when we pray, the God we're praying to works positively in a situation. I said, yes, please. So we prayed. Anyway, 11 months later, he comes out of his coma. He's now back on his feet in school. It was just a remarkable situation. During those 11 months, these guys, they come and sit right at the back, as we often do, don't we, when we're exploring. And week by week, they'd be exposed to the claims and teachings of Christ and the imperfection yet authenticity of Christians. And they used... They, now they're, they're in their, He wrote me an email recently because we now laugh at the language they use, like positive energy and this kind of stuff. And he said... Um, Yes, PJ, our eyes are still focused on God because they're now living in Zimbabwe again. He's done such incredible things in our lives. Sad, really, that we thought it was all our own doing before we were re-educated during our son Luke's ordeal. And it's now a joke between us. He would use this completely unbiblical language that I was very happy to go with. And it's like he got to the place of wanting... They started, we want positive energy. That moved to, hmm... There's probably a creator, a divine being of some sort. Sorry, that, that way, there is a God, not just positive energy, there's a God of some sort, which in due course moved to Jesus Christ as the one true God. It was a great progression, but it started with just a bit of a positive aura, dude. Tip number 10, which is not up on the screen, and I'm aware of the time, Howard. Thank you, for, thank you mate. Um, tip number 10... If you've got your Bible open, we can look at it later. Paul says an amazing things, amazing thing to the citizens of Cheltenham, I mean Athens. He says, God has determined the exact time and place where you will live. And he's done it so that people might reach for God, for he is not far from any of them. Reach for God and find God, because he's not far from any of them. He's essentially saying the whole of Athens is a setup for people to encounter Jesus Christ. Do you know that's, that's the reason you are made, the reason you are put on earth, is that you might reach for God and find him, for he is not far from you. Yes. And specifically for Cheltenham, this is an extraordinary place. In 1226, it was first thought of as a town. God... When he created the earth, he made a little river off the River Seven called the River Chelt, and that has resulted in this setup. Maybe as he was forming it, the angel said to him, Father God, what are, you, what are we up to with that little river? And he said, oh, I'm just putting this thing in place so that as the years roll by, a settlement will be formed around that River Chelt. Late 1700s, strangely, springs were discovered. What's going on? Gabriel, angel, maybe says to the father, what's with those, why do you put them there? And God says, the whole thing's a setup. I want people to gather here for the gospel. And then it becomes great with education. What's going on with education and health and jobs and GCHQ and what, what, what's going on, says Gabriel to the father. He says, the whole thing's just a setup. I want as many people in earshot and bicycle distance, and car distance. I want, them to, I want them to be here, Paul says to the Athenians, that they might be exposed to the claims and teachings of Christ. I want to encourage you, love your town, because God loves it. But this place is all designed, not for your job, not for schools. Those are nice, those are good, but they're just a setup that people can hear, hear the gospel. So may God bless you in your mission in this great town. Amen.
For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.